All right, you can go ahead and uh, grab a seat. Hope you're having a great morning. You know, a, a lot of people uh, over the last few weeks, you know, since my family and I have moved here, they've asked me, okay, how does, how does Ohio compare to where you lived in, in, in Florida? And uh, to be honest, it you know, really hasn't felt that, that different. Um, back home, we lived in the suburbs of a, of a big city. We were about 30 minutes away, so it feels very similar uh, to where we are here in, in Westerville. All of our favorite restaurants and stores are here, Costco and Chick-fil-A and, and Starbucks. Like, it really hasn't felt that different. It's felt pretty normal until this past Tuesday when it snowed on Halloween. And uh, the realization set in, man, I am not in Florida anymore. This is, uh, this is something different. And I've actually uh, got a couple pictures this morning just to demonstrate for you how different this is for me. So the, the first picture uh, that you're going to see, this is my, my daughter and I two years ago uh, doing a trick-or-treat in our neighborhood. She was dressed as, as Minnie Mouse, and uh, you can see I'm in my shorts and my Sperry's, look like I'm ready to go to the beach. It was 80 degrees, I'm sweating, being chased by mosquitoes, it's bright, it's sunny. Uh, and then you have this next picture. And this was uh, from, from this past Tuesday with the wind, uh, you know, blowing in our, in our face. I think it was like, you know, 35 degrees at this point, And like 20 minutes after this picture, it starts snowing. And uh, it's like, man, this is, is different. And look, I know, I know, it's going to get a whole lot worse. Um, and I, I've been told by the people in Florida, I've been told by, by you all here, and this has kind of been, been my approach. I have built it up in my mind to be so awful and so miserable that I will be pleasantly surprised when, when winter actually comes. Like, I built it to the point, like, I don't know if I'm going to survive. So then when I survive, it's like, man, that really wasn't, wasn't that bad. Now, none of that has anything to do with the message. I just wanted to provide an update because I know many of you have asked and been concerned how, how my family's doing. So uh, today we are in uh, part two of our teaching series called Exiles, where we're going to be walking through the first half of the book of Daniel together. And uh, our series really revolves around the lives of these four young men who found themselves living as exiles in Babylon and this, this nation and this empire that was not their, their home. And what we're seeing is these guys are trying to figure out how to navigate life in a culture and a society that is at odds with many of their values and beliefs as, as Israelites. And the big idea that we're seeing throughout this series week after week is this. Faith is more about how you live than where you live. Our faith as, as followers of Jesus, it is not tied to, it's not contingent upon where we live, meaning that we need to be in a Christian environment, in a Christian culture, and a Christian nation, but faith for us is about learning to follow Jesus wherever we live, even if it means living in a culture and a society that is indifferent or even hostile towards our beliefs and our convictions. And last week, we saw Daniel and his three friends taken as prisoners to Babylon. These were young men, probably 13, 14 years old. They're taken to, to Babylon, and they're introduced into this three-year training program um, where, where they're taught the Babylonian literature and language and religion. And the goal of the program was very simple. It was indoctrination. They wanted these young men to think and talk and act like a Babylonian. And at the end of the three years, they would enter into the king's service where they would serve him for the rest of their lives. But what we saw is that Daniel and his friends, they had pre-decided their values and beliefs. 
they had determined in their hearts and their minds what lines that they were unwilling to cross. And one of those lines that they would not cross was drinking and eating the royal wine and the, the royal food. This was a line that went against their, their beliefs and their convictions, and they refused to, to cross that line. But we saw them do so in a way that honored and respected their authority. And God honored and blessed their faithfulness. God honored and blessed their obedience to him. So this morning, uh, we're gonna be picking up our story in Daniel chapter two. So if you have your Bible with you, if you've got version with you, you can go ahead and flip open there. You can also scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, and there's a section called notes that you can follow along with for today's message. But here's what we're gonna see from Daniel's life today if you're taking notes. It's this, it's that God has placed us in Babylon on purpose for a purpose. God has placed you and I as followers of Jesus in Babylon on purpose for a purpose. You know, Daniel's life from the outside looking in, his life seemed to be very chaotic. It seemed like his life was out of control. It, it appeared as if God had abandoned him and forgotten about him. But Daniel was not in Babylon by accident. Daniel was not in Babylon by mistake. No, God had strategically placed him and his friends in the heart of this empire on purpose for a purpose. And today we're gonna begin to see that reason, that purpose played out in the life of Daniel. We're gonna see why God called these young men to leave their home, even though it was against their, their choice, against their own decision, and place them here in Babylon. So in Daniel chapter two, starting in verse one, we read this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar the king, he had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians and the enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I wanna know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever, tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it for you. But the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned and the piles rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he's having this recurring dream. It's almost more like a nightmare. It's keeping him up at night. He, he's not able to sleep. So he calls in the, the sorcerers and the magicians and the astrologers to interpret his dream for him. Now, this was a, a very common practice. And in those days, in this culture, these, these wise men would be brought in and they would come up with some kind of made-up interpretation for, for dreams. And, and these interpretations were kind of like fortune cookies. They were so vague that they actually kind of like made sense and you could see how it, how it connected. But this time, there was, there was a catch. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to tell them what he dreamed. So not only did they have to tell him the interpretation to his dream, they had to tell him the content of his dream. And if they were unable to do so, they would be cut into pieces and their houses turned to rubble. Uh, so these guys clearly found themselves in a, a, a pretty tough spot, a pretty impossible situation. 
It would be like, you know, you're, you're in high school and you sit down for a test or an exam at the end of the year and your teacher just slides you a blank piece of paper and says, hey, you need to come up to, with the right answers to the test, but you also have to figure out the questions that are being asked, but we're not going to tell you. Like, it's like this impossible situation. Where do you even, even start? And they knew that they were in trouble. And listen to what they say in verse 7. Once more, they replied, no, 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 no. Let the king tell his servants the dream. And then we will interpret it. That's how it works, buddy. But the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So they recognize, man, this, this guy has lost his mind. And they, they try to kind of reason with him. They try to negotiate. They try to save themselves, but he wasn't having it. He knew these guys weren't legit. And when they weren't able to give him the answers he wanted, when they couldn't tell him the content and interpret the dream for him, he issued this decree throughout the entire empire that all of the wise men be put to death, that they be executed which included Daniel and his friends. And look what verse 14 says. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So just like last week, we, we see Daniel handling these situations with a lot of wisdom, a lot of thoughtfulness, a lot of tact. And rather than, than freaking out and, and panicking in the situation he finds himself in, he uses his influence to win over his authority. And he proposes this, this solution. He says, hey, let me, let me go talk to the king. So he goes to the king and says, hey, will you give me some time to try to interpret this, this dream for you? And then verse 17 says this, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So Daniel, he takes this massive kind of leap of faith and he goes to the king and asks for time to interpret the dream, not knowing whether or not God would actually reveal the content of the dream to him. And he goes back home and he gets his friends together and says, man, we, we need to cry out to God. We need to pray. We need to beg God for mercy. And once again, God honors their obedience. God honors their, their faithfulness and reveals to Daniel the, the, the content of the dream and, and the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel is then brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. I want you just to, to imagine this. This is a 15-year-old kid living in a foreign nation and standing before the most powerful man in the world. And he begins to explain to the king in vivid detail that could only come from God what the king had dreamed. And verse 31 says this. He's explaining the dream. He says, your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. 
its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. But while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So in this dream, there's this, this giant statue. It says an enormous statue made of these different metals and different materials. And then there's this rock that appears, that emerges out of nowhere and, and crushes the statue to dust. And then the rock begins to grow and to grow until it fills the entire earth. It seems like a really strange dream and vision going on, but Daniel begins to explain and interpret the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is actually biblical prophecy. It's pointing to something that will happen in the future. And there's, there's a lot of debate and speculation about what it all represents, but there's pretty good consensus when it comes to what this dream and what this vision means. The head of gold uh, represented, Daniel said, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, the most powerful kingdom on, on the world, in the world at the time. The silver in the statue, he said, it represents an inferior kingdom that's going to come after the Babylonian Empire. And most scholars suspect that this is a reference to, to the Persian Empire. The bronze represented a, a third kingdom, which people believe to, to be Greece, led by Alexander the Great. And then the iron represented the Roman Empire, a kingdom that would crush and break all the others, a kingdom that would last longer than any of these others. But then there would be a, a fifth kingdom that would emerge out of the Roman Empire. There would be this stone that would crush the statue and eventually fill the earth. And what is this kingdom? What does this stone represent? What is it a picture of? Well, Daniel tells the king what it means, what it represents in verse 44. He says, in the time of those kings, the different rulers of, of, of the earth, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. He says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. You see, the stone in this king's vision from hundreds of years ago, it is a picture of Jesus and his eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it points us to the first coming of Christ when Jesus would come and inaugurate his kingdom here on earth. It points us to, to this baby, this Messiah that would be born right in the heart of the Roman Empire. But this vision, this dream also points us to the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus will come and firmly establish his kingdom forever. And this kingdom will crush the kingdoms of the earth and it will endure forever. And then listen to, to how the king, the most powerful man in the world, how he responds to this interpretation. Verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. 
the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. You know, what, what you see in the story is, is God's hand, God's activity in Daniel's life and through Daniel's life. He's using Daniel and his friends to make his name and his glory known to King Nebuchadnezzar. And this, this isn't random. This isn't a coincidence. This was all part of God's plan and activity. God had placed these young men in Babylon on purpose for a purpose. He's using them to introduce Babylon to the one true God. And you see, just like Daniel and his friends, those of us who, who are followers of Jesus, we have been placed in Babylon today on purpose for a purpose. We're not, we're not here by accident. We're not here by randomness or, or by coincidence. God has strategically placed us in our culture, in our society for such a time as this. God has placed us in our, in our neighborhoods that we live in, He's placed us in our, our, our places of work. He's put us in our, our spheres of influence in order for you and I to be a light in the darkness, to point people to Jesus. So as spiritual exiles, and we, we saw that last week in, in 1 Peter, how it talks about we are foreigners, we are exiles in this world. As spiritual exiles who are living in a modern-day Babylon, who have been placed here on purpose for a purpose, and what, what can we learn from this story, from Daniel and his friends? How does it connect with our lives today? For the next few minutes, I want to look at three takeaways around this idea of you and I living in Babylon, of us being here on purpose for a purpose. So if you're taking notes, the, the first takeaway is this, is that God has placed us in Babylon to grow our faith. God has placed us here in Babylon to, to grow our faith. You know, what, what you see in the story is that Daniel finds himself in an impossible situation, a situation that couldn't be solved by, by intellect or by ability or by resources. The only solution to the problem that Daniel found himself in was faith. So he went to the king and asked for time to interpret this dream, this vision, and he did so without knowing whether or not God would reveal the dream to him. He had to step out in faith and trust and believe that God would come through on his behalf. You see, as exiles in, in Babylon, man, we, we face all kinds of, of challenges and difficulties today, don't we? I mean, for those of us who are, who are raising kids, we have to figure out, man, how, how do we raise our kids in, in Babylon? How do we, we work through all this? You have to make decisions about, okay, man, like what, what are we going to do for, for school for our kids do we put them in public school? Do we put them in private school? Do we put them in homeschool? What kind of environment do we, do we want to put them in? You have to navigate, okay, what are we going to do about technology with our kids? Like they're, they're in middle school. Do we, do we get them a cell phone? If we get them a cell phone, do we allow them on social media? There's so many things that, that are, 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 are you know, pulling our kids away, and we have to navigate, okay, how do we raise them in, in Babylon? We have to navigate political and social issues, where there's so much tension, so many competing views, so much noise out there, and we have to figure out, okay, what, what do we need to take a stand on? 
What are the hills that we die on? And when we take a stand, how do we do so in a way that is respectful and, and honoring and gracious? How do we, we figure out where the line is? We have to figure out, okay, how do we honor the Lord in our jobs? You know, if you work in a place where it's not encouraged for you to, to speak up about your beliefs and your values and your faith, man, how do you live out the Great Commission of making disciples in a context where that's not encouraged? We have to figure out how do we spend our time and our money? There's so many competing demands, so many things pulling our resources and our schedule. Man, how do we discern what's the best use of our resources? Man, and these are, these are difficult situations to try to navigate and to try to figure out. And I think there's a tendency, if you're anything like me, to feel like, man, I'm just going to try to outsmart the problem. I'm going to rely on my intellect and my ability and my resources, and we look for different life hacks and productivity tricks, and we just want, man, I just want a clear answer and solution to the problem. Just, just tell me what to do. But Babylon is messy, and it's confusing, and it's complex. It, it, it's not always black and white. There's not always a clear-cut answer to our problems. Oftentimes, we, we face situations where, where we don't have a clear solution. Like going back to, to the example with, with kids, and like when I was in student ministry, and I had parents, they'd come to me and say, hey, like, when should we get our kid a cell phone? What kind of restrictions should we have on there? When, when can they have social media? Like there's not a clear-cut answer to that. That's, it's, it's a difficult thing that we have to navigate. Man, so the question is, man, then what do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do when there's not a clear-cut answer? Well, I think what we see from, from Daniel is that we seek the Lord and we step out in faith. We do our best to honor the Lord and we trust him with the results. Listen, the, the, the solution to the obstacles and the problems that, that we face in, in this life here in Babylon, it's, it's not more money, it's not more knowledge, it's not more life hacks. The solution is greater faith and trust in God. And God is never gonna work in such a way as to remove the need for faith from your life. God has placed you in Babylon to grow your faith and grow your dependence in him, on him so that we learn to trust him in the middle of messy, hard, complex situations where there's no clear-cut answer. We're living in the gray. God has placed us there so that we lean on him and depend on him. We're called to step out in faith and to trust that God is gonna show up and provide on our behalf. The second takeaway that, that we see is this is that God has equipped us to serve him in Babylon. You know, back in, in chapter one, we, we saw Daniel honor the Lord with his obedience and his faithfulness. He resolved to, to not defile himself with the royal food and the royal wine. And because of Daniel's obedience, God blessed him. God honored him. In fact, listen to what we're told in, in chapter one, verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So at the very beginning of his time in, in, in Babylon, God gave Daniel this unique ability to understand visions and dreams. 
And in the moment for Daniel, this probably did not seem like a very helpful or useful gift. Like being able to interpret dreams and visions, it wasn't gonna get him home to his family. I'm sure he's thinking, God, I I would rather you just take me out of Babylon. Would you just take me home? But God wasn't looking to remove Daniel from Babylon. God was equipping Daniel to serve him in Babylon. You know, what I think we, we often want as, as believers is, God, just, just take me out of Babylon. Like, I, I don't want to be in an environment that is messy and hard and complex and confusing. I want to be somewhere that is safe and comfortable and familiar and, and has clear right and wrong. But God is not working in such a way as to remove us from Babylon. He's working to equip us for greater service and influence in Babylon. And how does God do this? How does God equip us to to serve him? Well, he does this through every aspect of our life. God uses our, our families, both the good families and the bad families. God uses our experiences, our, our jobs, our education. God uses the relationships in our life. God even uses our failures. He uses all of it together to prepare us and equip us to serve him. God uses all of it. God doesn't waste any of it. And he's at work in every season of your life to grow you and to equip you to serve him, even in the seasons that you feel like are, are a waste. And you're wondering, God, what, what are you doing? I shouldn't be here. This doesn't make, make sense to me. About a year ago, uh, August of, of 2022, um, I transitioned out of student ministry that I had been in for, for six years um, into a, a new role at our, our previous church um, as an associate pastor. And I knew that my time in student ministry was kind of winding down, that God was calling me into a new season of ministry. And I was hoping that this new role, this new position would be an answer uh, to that, that it would be the, the right fit. But about a month into this new role, I, I quickly realized, man, this, this is not it. Um, I wasn't preaching regularly. I wasn't doing what I felt like God had, had, had called me to do and, and, and gifted me to do. And if I'm being honest, I, just, I felt like I was stuck. I felt like, man, this, this season of ministry is just, it's a waste. And I started to, I had a lot of conversations with God that just kind of went like, God, what, what are you doing? Why am I here? Why do you have me in this role? I think you've made a mistake. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I would have chosen. But what I didn't realize in in the moment was that God was using that season to prepare me for a new season. He was growing me and equipping me to serve him in an even greater capacity. And he did this in in a couple of different ways. One, God was, was expanding my understanding and my, my skill set as a pastor. Because when I was in student ministry, when I was a student pastor, the only thing I thought about was student ministry. I thought about our student service each week, our summer camp, our student weekend, hanging out with middle schoolers, high schoolers. Like all of my attention, all my focus was on student ministry. I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture of the church and all the different ministries and how all of it fits together. But now in this new role as an associate pastor, I had to start thinking more big picture. I was thinking about things like life groups, connections, missions, facilities, budget, staffing, the very things that I think about now on a daily basis as a teaching pastor. 
God was using that season to grow me and to equip me as a, as a pastor. But second, God was using that season to loosen the roots in my life. You see, I was serving on, on staff at my home church that I had been at for, for 30 years for my entire life. My wife and I, our, our families went there. All of our friends <clears throat> attended church there. And I was safe I was comfortable, it was easy, it was familiar. And, if I, and being honest, man, I didn't, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to continue to, to serve there. But God had different plans for our family. And he was using this season that seemed to me like a waste, that seemed to me like a mistake to prepare us for a new season where he was calling us to step out in faith and to leave what was safe and to leave what was familiar. You know, maybe you feel like you're in a season right now that is just, it's a waste. You're in a job that you don't love, or you're pursuing a degree that you're not excited about, or you're navigating some messy family situation, or you're walking through some kind of health challenges, and, and, and you just feel stuck. You're not sure where God is at. You're not sure why God has you here. You feel like your, your life is just kind of on pause during this season. But listen, God doesn't waste any of it. He is at work in all of it, and he's using your, your experiences in life, he's using your relationships, and he's even using those hard seasons to grow you. And just like Daniel, God is using this time to equip you to serve him in an even greater way in Babylon. Now, I love this, this promise from, from 2 Peter chapter 1. It says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And what, what a promise for us to hold on to. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have everything that we need to live a godly life. And not because of our own ability, our own resources, our own gifting, but because of our relationship with Jesus. God has uniquely equipped you and gifted you to serve him in Babylon. You have everything that you need at your disposal because of your relationship with Jesus. And God is using every season, even the season you're in right now, to grow you and to equip you and to prepare you for greater service and greater influence in his kingdom. And finally, number three, and we can have hope because Babylon isn't forever. You see, while living as a, an exile, while living as a prisoner in this foreign kingdom, Daniel, he's, he's given a glimpse of this future kingdom. And he's reminded that, that Babylon, it's, it's not going to last forever. And that his hope, it's not tied to, to what happens to Israel. It's not tied to what happens to, to Babylon. It's not tied to any earthly kingdom. His hope was in the eternal kingdom of God. And how neat is it that God used Daniel's enemy to reveal this truth to him? It reminds us that, that God is in control of, of, of the big things and God is in control of all the small details as well. All of it is under the authority and the sovereignty of God. You know, at, at times, it, it may seem like Babylon is, is going to win. 
Our secular culture seems to be advancing. Jesus seems to be pushed to the fringes more and more, and life is getting messier and harder and more complex. And it feels, as believers, like the odds are stacked against us. But Babylon has an expiration date. It's not going to last forever. And just like the, the story of Daniel, God has revealed this eternal kingdom to us, not, not through a vision or through a dream, but through his word. The Bible is God's revelation of his everlasting kingdom. It's our reminder that there is a future kingdom that will be an eternal kingdom. And at the center of that kingdom is Jesus, a king who will rule and who will reign forever. And this is the truth that we cling to while living in Babylon, that we cling to while living in messy, complex, difficult situations. But you see, while we wait for this kingdom to one day come, while we wait for Jesus to return and we wait with anticipation, and we have, we have work to do, we have a mission to accomplish, we have been called to be a light in the darkness. We have been called to point people to Jesus. And we don't do this through our own power or our own strength. We do this through what God has given to us. And God has given us everything we need to serve him. He has placed us in Babylon on purpose for a purpose. It's not random, it's not chaotic, it's not an accident. God has you where you are for a reason. And he is growing you and he is equipping you to serve him and to make a difference. And you have everything that you need to serve King Jesus because of your relationship with him. And while we wait, we hold on to this promise that this kingdom, this world is not forever. That there is an eternal kingdom with an eternal king that we get to serve and that we get to worship, and who has invited us to be a part of his mission in this world. So Father, we, we know that living in Babylon is hard and challenging and difficult, and, and there are so many messy situations without a clear answer. So God, my, my prayer is that you would give us wisdom and how we, we, we live and how we think about the, the problems that we face. God, that you would give us greater faith to trust you, to follow you, and to know that you will show up, you will provide, that you will give us what we need. But God, ultimately, we thank you that, that our hope is not in this world. It's not in this kingdom. That the world as it is, it has an expiration date. The kingdoms of this world, they will come to an end. And we thank you for, for the promise in your word of this eternal kingdom that will last forever. And that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God, help us to cling to that while in Babylon. Help us to take our eyes off of what is temporary and place our hope and our faith in what's eternal. So Jesus, we love you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.